Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. So usually every month we start a new sermon series and I'm a, I'm a strategist. So I had the whole year planned, Dr. Monique. I got the whole thing. It's color coded. It's beautiful. Nice little spreadsheet. <laughs> Me and my wife, we, we looked over the whole year. We prayed about the direction of this year and it's all figured out. And then God hit me with the remix. Said, take that, take that, take that. And so what he, what he said was, we need to keep talking about offense. He said, the conversation's not over. He said, it's not over. It's not finished. It's only the beginning. So we're going to continue the conversation that we started last month called No Offense. I'm grateful for this conversation. Now I struggle with last minute adjustments. Can I just be transparent just for a second? I am ridiculously proactive and I like to think about the future and make a plan from here to there. And I do not want any detours. But I'm grateful for this detour because it's telling me that God is developing a deep, character for a reason it's for i said it's for a reason god would not drill into us on this topic unless he was preparing us for a people i'm trying to cast a little vision that he's working on us to prepare us for a people the word of god declares that the harvest is white or plentiful. There's plenty of harvest. There's a whole lot. Too much. But then he follows up that statement by sentiment by saying, but the workers are few. There's not enough workers to keep up with the harvest. And so the reason that the Lord is drilling in on this and helping us to grow in this area is because he has a people that he wants us to reach, specifically us, specifically us. We are a blueprint that others are, have been, and will model themselves after. It's not, listen, come here. It's not just talent and tie. Talent and tie are not the blueprint. This congregation of Christ followers, look around, look to your left and your right real quick. He's communicating this message to us. Turn to your neighbor, take your pointer finger, stick it in their face and say, he talking about you, not you, you. He talking about you. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't randomly sit in that seat you aren't just here just checking us out you're on assignment too so let that settle in your heart real quick before we go further into this conversation that the reason that this conversation is happening and it's coming into your ears and making its way to your heart is because you're on assignment from heaven which means we got work to do and I'm so grateful hello that we get to do it because he could have stepped right on over your tail left you right in that muck and that mire where you were laying handcuffed and shackled to your sin but he decided that you were worthy to be set free you were worthy to be healed. Your heart was worthy to be put back together. But he didn't just free you for you. None of this is in my notes. He freed you because he wants you to be a part of freeing 
others. And you can't do that effectively with a heart full of offense. You can't do that effectively with a character that is easily offended. Because he's sending you to people that don't think like you, that don't look like you, that don't have the same ideas as you. So you cannot be so easily offended. You have to have the love of Jesus Christ in you. Jesus went right to the folk that everybody else wanted nothing to do with. And that's what he wants us to have inside of our hearts as well. The ability to see people, people that don't vote like us, people that didn't grow up where we grew up, people that didn't go to the church we went to, and see them as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's why we got to keep talking about no offense. We can't have it. There's no room for it. It's holding us back. It's prohibiting us from being who God called us to be. So we're going to continue this conversation with uh, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to look at the original Palm Sunday. We're going to go to the book of John. We're going to start at the 12th chapter and the 12th verse. I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of John 12, and then I'm going to hit the fast forward button, and we're going to jump to John 19. So we're going to start at John 12, 12. If you got it, say, I got it. All right, I will wait for all my Android users to catch up. I'm going to be reading from the CSB. CSB. John 12 and 12 says, the next day. Why did it start with the next day? Because Jesus had just went on a journey. He had just left one place and he was showing up in another place. And this is right before Jesus was going to allow himself to be taken. A couple things had to happen first, though. This is the narrative of the first Palm Sunday. When the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Turn to your neighbor and said, they called him the King. Let's fast forward to John 19, starting at verse 12. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. Because what had happened was, Jesus was now arrested. He had now been to trial. And Pilate realized that he really didn't have a case against Jesus. So he was confused and he was trying to get Jesus to make a claim that he could kind of use to make him guilty. But Jesus is always cool as the other side of the pillow. And so everything that he tried, Jesus had something to say back that just left Pilate perplexed. And he was like, I'm, you know what? I need to release this dude. So from that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Turn to your neighbor and said, he made himself a king. Ain't these the same folk that just proclaimed that he was the king? Now, all of a sudden, their declaration is that he made himself a king. Next verse says, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, it's Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover. It was about noon. Then he told the Jews, here is your king. Because Pilate knew this was who they said was their king. 
So when he was there, he's like, listen, listen, I don't see nothing wrong. Here is your king. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? They responded, we have no king but Caesar. Turned to your neighbor and said, they have no king. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Today's message is, is this your king? Is this your king? What do you do when the people who once cheered you want to crucify you? What do you do when the people that you were called to want to kill you? The people that you poured your time, your energy, your effort into don't want anything to do with you anymore. Sorry, Siri. What do you do when the people that you gave your life to sacrificially want to sacrifice you on their own altar of agenda? It's an easy place to find offense. Let's pray. Lord, we honor you in the name of Jesus because you are the lifter up of our heads. You are the center of our lives. And we know that you're working on us because you have a plan for us. So we ask that as you're working on us, that you help us to receive the work that you are doing in us. Help us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Is this your king? So this came from, you know, several years ago. We all went crazy for a new movie called The Black Panther. And one of the famous scenes in that movie is when Michael B. Jordan, who played a character called Eric Killmonger, showed up to Wakanda to confront the king, King T'Challa. He showed up with a heart full of offense, though, because he felt as though the people of Wakanda were hypocrites. Because they globally were known as this peaceful bunch of people who were all about goodwill. But he knew that those same people were responsible for the death of his father. And those same people that killed his father were his people. Because he was Wakandan himself. And so he spent his whole life with a heart full of offense that turned into a heart full of anger, that turned into a heart full of bitterness. And he made it his mission that he was going to get revenge. And then he showed up in Wakanda, and the king accepted his challenge to a battle for the throne. And as they were engaging in this battle, he made the statement after it was clear that he was about to win. He said, is this your king? Is this the one that you put your trust and your fidelity into? Because I just took him out. Where's your king now? <laughs> More recently, Michael B. Jordan was in another movie. Creed 3. And that was nothing but lady voices that just said, yeah. Even though it's a boxing movie. Weird, right? Totally weird. <laughs> what, what, what happens when when the one that you 
the steam deferred, lets you down. They look a little different. See, in this movie, he has a he has a a co-star, guy by the name of Jonathan Majors. And about a month ago, he was untouchable. I mean, everybody loved Jonathan Majors. I mean, he could do no wrong. Everybody, especially ladies, was talking about how great of an actor he was, even though they ain't seen none of his movies. So I'm confused, but hey, that's fine. He's a great actor. <laughs> then he got accused of a crime. <laughs> he was arrested. And the same people that was propping him up, talking about how great of an actor he was, flipped. And with the same veracity that they were cheering him, they began to crucify him on social media. Now there's some more evidence that maybe that wasn't true. None of us know yet because the justice process hasn't taken place. But even though there hasn't been a judicious process that has taken place, a lot of people have come to some conclusions. They have finality in their heart as to the character and the type of individual that this is. Even though less than 30 days ago, they were saying, mm, look at him. I know I'm telling the truth because y'all don't want to yell too loud next to, never mind. But they went quickly from love to hate. And it happens way more than we want to admit. People that we revere, that we esteem, that we look up to let us down. And we instantly go from saying, this is our king, to we have no king. But what about when it's us? When it's us sitting on the throne of someone else's heart? When we're the savior, we're the mentor, we're the big brother, the big sister. We're the one that's pouring. What happens when we sit in that seat and then someone tries to discredit our efforts? Try to discredit our motives. Try to discredit our character to others. How do we feel when the very person that we poured our all into discards it? and throws us away. In either scenario, we find ourselves highly offended. Whether that person that we looked up to lets us down, it causes offense. Whether we're the one that's pouring and somebody tries to tarnish our name, we become offended because we misplace who the real king is. And we put ourselves and we put others in the seat that belongs to the king of kings. And it leaves us vulnerable and susceptible to becoming offended. Let's look at John 12 and 13 one more time because it's Palm Sunday. And it says they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That word Hosanna shouldn't be overlooked. That word translated in Hebrew means please save us. They weren't just saying this. The Bible says they were shouting this. 
as they were waving those palms, as Jesus was coming into the city on the dock, they were saying, Hosanna, save us, please save us. There's this recognition that I'm in trouble. There's this recognition that I can't help myself, so therefore I'm reaching out to you. I'm shouting it to make sure that you can hear me. We need you to save us. And there's been plenty of people in your life who've been waving that palm branch at you. You've felt this tug on your heart to step in and make their situation better. Maybe you could identify, maybe you were once in the place that they were in and now you're doing a little bit better and you figure you have something to offer to make their life a little bit better because you know what it's like to be on both sides of the equation. You know what it felt like to be down bad and you know what it felt like to come up out the situation. And so the least you can do is go back and help somebody else get out of the situation that you were in. Maybe you're just like the firstborn and you just kind of have this instinctual big brother, big sister vibe going on. So not only are you the big sibling for your actual siblings, but you take that out into the workplace. You take that to church. You take that everywhere that you go. You always big broing and big sister and everybody. And more times than not, people end up peopling. And they catch amnesia. They forget about all the things that you did for them, even if it was just being a listening ear. All the time that you could have been doing other things, you were with them in their time of need. And then next thing you know, they implant knives in your back when you're not around. They assassinate your character so that they can move on to the next Big bro, big sis, and leaves you feeling offended. So how in the world, Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, do you expect me to respond when I was doing what you called me to do? See, You see how we like to turn it back on the Lord? We like to say we don't have a king. You assigned me to them. You told me to pour into them. You told me to look out for them. And now look what they did. We start talking about you made yourself a king. You know why? Because we, we, we put ourselves in his seat. So because he sent us, because he told us, because he anointed us, we thought it was about us. We made it about us. I did what you told me to do, Lord. I prayed, spoke a word of encouragement, I paid a bill or two. I made sure that kids had something. I made sure that they didn't fall into depression further. I did what you led me to do, and then they hurt me. They talked about me. They abandoned me. They stopped returning my texts, my phone calls. I don't hear from them no more, Lord. You told me to do this. You know what you have? A Messiah complex. Because science doesn't disprove the Lord. It approves of the Lord. And this is actually a psychological term. Where we put our cape on and we turn into Captain Sable. It's got to be me. Nope. It's the only way they're going to make it is if I get involved. I'm the Avenger. I'm the one that's going to turn their life around. We turn ourselves into the king. I know we don't want to admit it. The Lord is getting us ready. I need you to listen with spiritual ears. You are suffering from a Messiah complex if you feel like you are destined or called to save others. 
Come on, you like to you like you like to put a little ministry sauce on it. I'm called to broken women. I'm called to marriages. I'm anointed for prayer. I'm a prophet to the nations. That's your favorite one. But inherent in those statements is God sent me here to save these people. Mm, he didn't. At all. Are you struggling with this theology? Because the truth of the matter is only Jesus saves. You are nobody's savior. All of us are clay pots, vessels that the Lord uses in his plan to advance his kingdom agenda. All glory goes to him. Don't care how anointed you are. Don't care how called you are. Don't care how you can have every spiritual gift in 2 Corinthians. I don't care. You aren't created, called, anointed, gifted to save anybody. It's called pride that you think that you're their savior. Their savior died on a cross before you were ever created. And all the glory goes to him. Now we get to be used inside of a process, but that process, hear me, has nothing to do with us. Are you okay with being used by him? and not getting credit. Can I put that caveat at the end? Because none of us have a problem being used as long as we get front and center on the flyer. As long as our name is on the graphic, Lord, use me. I'm ready, send me, I'll go. Just make sure it's first class. Make sure it's Delta. Make sure there's a car service. Send me, Lord, I'll go. But what if he wants to use you and keep the glory for himself? Are you okay with that? Because that's his real plan. You get to be used. Get to, get to, get to. You see what he's trying to do in your heart? He's trying to get you to see that it's a privilege to be used by him. That's the privilege. The fact that he chose you or anything. Is that a tough pill to swallow? It may be a Messiah complex. You may, you may want the credit. You may want the glory. You may want the accolades, but you cannot have it. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? That he's going to keep the glory for himself. Half the people ain't coming back next week, babe. The glory belongs. This is a way to get out of offense when you realize it ain't about you. If you can take your cape off and lay it down, you're less likely to be offended. When you realize it ain't about you, you are not Captain Save'em. You are a tool in the hand of the Most High God. So when you focus on the fact that you're just a tool in the hand of God, it don't matter what they think about you. 
because you realize that he values you enough to use you and that's all the credits you need. Don't need a flyer. You ain't got to shout me out. You ain't got to say how much I blessed you. And this is a true story for me. I need no credit. I want no glory. I want your life to change for his glory. I want you to be set free for his glory. Because if you get free, we get to keep advancing the kingdom forward. We cannot sit in God's seat. We will get crushed by it. That's why it's so hard for you to move on because of the last time that you tried to be there for somebody and your cape got dirty. I ain't doing that no more. You know how expensive this cape was? And now it's all dirty. And now I got to take it to the dry cleaners. You know how expensive the dry cleaners are now with inflation? We tell ourselves, here's what we tell ourselves, it's no longer worth the effort. I'm just going to do me. And they won't even come to church no more. That's why it's so easy to go to Bedside Baptist. Shout out to everybody watching us online. We love you. But that's why it's so easy. Because there's no accountability. Can't nobody hurt me if I'm in my bed watching on YouTube. Because I can flip from one church to the next church. And find what I like. Right here inside my comfort zone where nobody gets to hurt me ever again, where I don't get to waste my poor. Hmm? Nice little church statement that we, we, we've concocted over the last few years. I'm going to waste my poor. The problem is you don't read your Bible because no poor is wasted. Paul said this, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God got the increase. Paul didn't get the increase. Apollos didn't get the increase, but the increase was gotten by the one who's supposed to get the increase. So neither poor was wasted. We don't need the credit. We don't need the glory. We either planting or we watering but we're not wasting either way. We're on assignment. I'm not supposed to get the glory. I'm not supposed to get the cosign. I don't need you to introduce me to nobody. Every door that will open and that has opened came from God himself. You know why? So that I can't get the credit, you can't get the credit, can't nobody get the credit but him. So keep watching. It's important that you let this settle in because God can't use you if it's about you. I said God can't use you if it's about you. We start to assign a value to our gift. We start to position ourselves inside the kingdom agenda in spots and in authorities that weren't meant for us. And the reason that occurs is because our heart is lacking in humility. I could put my resume of accomplishments up next to a whole lot of people. I could open up my phone and my contacts and you would see some really popular names. But who cares? Do you think I care? No. All I want is his 
glory to be accomplished. All I want is his will to be done. Sometimes he uses people with big names. Sometimes he uses people with no names. Wherever you want to send me, however you want me to go, I'm cool with it. And I don't need no credit. Some of you know me a long time and you can testify I don't need no credit. Because I will never, ever, ever make this or anything God calls me to do about me. Can I let you know something? He don't need you. I'm sorry, but I'm not doing a good job of recruiting people in. Okay. He don't need you. He wants you. He desires to use you. But don't ever fall over the line of thinking that he needs you and your little gift. Remember on the Cosby show back in the day, he was like, I'll get rid of you and make another like you that look just like you. <laughs> he don't need us. You can find peace in that statement. He don't need me. But I'm sure glad that he decided to use me. It's a different heart. I'm not telling you to get lazy, not to serve, not to use your gift, not to pour. I'm telling you to change your heart posture. Thank God that he wants to use me in any way, shape, or form. Thank God my messed up self has a position in the kingdom. Thank God that he didn't leave me where he found me, but he cleaned me up, turned my life around, and put me to work in his kingdom. Thank God. Thank, thank God. We got to realize that living in offense is costing us opportunities. When we get stuck there offended at somebody, it is costing us opportunities. There's this phrase called opportunity costs. And it's when we put time, energy, or effort into one thing, and it costs us the ability to put time, energy, and effort into something else. And maybe the thing that we were putting our energy, time, and effort into was less valuable than if we would have put it over here. Instead, opportunity costs. And so when we stay stuck with our Messiah complex trying to be Captain Save Him, and then the people we was trying to save turns on us, we lose the opportunity that God has for us in the moment. There's three opportunities that I want to tell you about. When you live in offense, the first opportunity that it costs you is the ability to grow. You lose the ability to grow. I've done all this intro to let you know that God wants you to love the people that hurt you. He don't just want you to love the people that love you back. Super easy. But he wants you to grow in your development to be able to love your enemies. Why would he ask you to do that? Because he did it to you. You were his enemy. And he loved you as his enemy until you became his child. He's asking you to do to others was done to you but because you're so offended at what happened before now you miss opportunity after opportunity to love somebody who's different from you to show the love of Christ to somebody who's not like you and you miss the opportunity to be inside the will of God that's a cost that you should not want to pay if he wants to grow you he wants to develop you, it's because he has more uses for you than you realize. Sometimes we go on a journey with God and we see gifts, talents, abilities, skill sets, and we try to identify and come to conclusions as to what God has us to do. Sometimes what he has you to do, what he just revealed to you is just for this season. It's like 10% of who you are, what you're called to do. But if you get stuck there because somebody offended you in that little 10% season, now you miss the whole 90 there was more for you, but you lost the opportunity to walk in that season 
because offense had you handcuffed to the last one and you missed your opportunity to grow. You stunted your growth with your offense. Number two, offense costs you the opportunity to glean, to learn, to develop a knowledge that you did not have before. Uh, a couple weekends ago, I had to take my daughter to a birthday party. And the parent, uh, the father of the, of the child whose birthday it was, he just like, struck up a conversation with me like as soon as I walked in. <laughs> so he and his wife were like, yeah, your videos are great and da 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 da. And he was like, um, tell me about your name. Tell me, no, he said, tell me about this name of yours. I'm like, hold on, what you mean? What's the name of yours, bro? But I'm on a journey with God. So I didn't let offense just come on in there. Well, this name of mine said it's talent. It's like it's Egyptian. It means to rise. And he was like, no. Huh? He's like, that's not how you pronounce it. I said, sir, I've had this name my whole life. I tell people how to pronounce this name every day. Oh, as soon as I could talk, I just say mom and dad. I said, no, this is how you pronounce it. Those are my first words. Thanks, mom. And he proceeded to tell me um, that in Arabic, which is the language of the region where my name comes from, he said the first T is what we call a hard T. And your name is very popular where I come from. I was like, for real? Because it definitely ain't popular over here. He was like, no, it's very popular. He's like, it's like Michael or Andrew here. But it's the, that first T, because we have two T's in Arabic, but the T in front of your name is a hard T. And we stretch out. That's why it's two A's next to each other on the back end. It's talat. I couldn't say it like he said it. But he pronounced it several times. And he, he went on to tell me, he said, it's a very popular name. He said, in the Islamic faith, it's actually a, a very famous warrior who was very part of, uh, uh, of some famous battles. And so that's why a lot of people use that name where I come from. It's very popular. Now, my self-esteem went up a little bit. I said, well, at least it's popular somewhere. Because I sure be having to tell everybody I pronounce my name over here. But what happened was I had an encounter with somebody who had a different faith than me, who grew up in a different place from me, who don't share the same interests as me that helped me to learn something that I did not know. I was able to glean knowledge and information and insight from somebody totally different from me. So we can't be sitting inside Christian bubbles all the time I'm only going to learn from other Christians. Can't nobody outside the faith teach me anything. I can't engage with you because you're different from me. You miss the opportunity to glean because you allow offense to make you close-minded. Somebody taught you that you can only talk to a charismatic if you're charismatic. You can only talk to a Baptist if you're Baptist. You can only talk to a Christian if you're a Christian. Because what? What, what are you doing talking to that non-Christian? What are you doing engaging that non-Christian? Well, I, the Bible told me to go into all nations. Real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. Um, how are you going to win the loss if you don't talk to them? Did God tell you to keep winning the one? How you gonna keep winning the one? Is all you do trying to keep winning the one? Is that the entirety of your ministry to keep winning one people? W-O-N. How does the kingdom advance if we're only talking to each other all the time? 
How do we have impact or influence outside of church if we're only talking to church people? You miss the opportunity to glean, to gain insight, to gain intelligence because you allow hurt and offense to talk you out of any possible good coming from talking to people opposite of you. You won't even talk to a Republican if you're Democrat. You won't even talk to a Democrat if you're Republican. You think that's a plan of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of darkness that got you married to a political candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. How is that kingdom? How is that like Jesus? You think Jesus only talked to one type of person? Have you have you scrolled through the gospels? to see the different types of people, the different races of people, the, the different gender of people, the different socioeconomic class of people that he interacted with. Jesus believes in diversity. Why is diversity such a scary word now? What do y'all think I mean by that? That holy hush tells me that you're confused or scared what that word diversity could mean. It means somebody not like you. Jesus loved your crazy tale and he loved their crazy tale. And he's trying to make y'all a little less crazy every day because both y'all crazy. With your crazy selves. And we need to never lose sight of the fact that we need him to help us become less crazy because we crazy. I don't care how long ago you got saved. I don't care when you got baptized. You are crazy. All it takes is one wrong decision, one wrong move, and you back to fully fledged crazy. You just a little less crazy today because you've been walking with him. I got to do a better job of recruiting. I get to go in and just be discouraging y'all. I'm sorry, but you're crazy. And so am I. And that's why I wake up every day, deny my flesh, pick up my cross and follow him. Because I know if I don't, I'm going back crazy. 100% crazy. And you will too, if you're not careful. With your little savior's complex. That's what happens when we get to flying through the air like Superman. We forget we crazy too. We too busy saving others to realize we still need him. I'm trying to move on, but somebody obviously needs to hear this. You are not the savior. You're crazy. That's okay. We need to know this so that we keep ourselves on our knees before him every single day. Hey, Lord, I'm crazy. I need you today. That's why, that's why the Bible calls it daily bread. Because we wake up starving every day. We wake up starving every day. We need daily bread. Not weekly bread. Some of y'all trying to live off weekly bread on Sunday mornings. When your Bible says you need it daily stop blaming me because you won't eat monday through saturday i ain't got nothing to do with that 
You need daily, you need him every day. Why? Because you're crazy. Now that we're all on the same page, number three is offense costs you the opportunity to glow. You can't be a light in dark places if offense causes your light to go out. Now you're just dark in dark places because you won't even let the love of Jesus come through you in a dark situation because you allowed offense to make your heart cold. You've allowed offense to put your heart, uh, put walls up around your heart. And that's why your marriage is suffering. Because they hurt you. That's why your singleness feels the way it feels because you've declared I'll never allow somebody to come in my space and hurt me like that again. I did it again, babe, I'm sorry. That's why you can't be promoted because you are offended. God can't put you in a place of influence with that cold, icy heart of yours. Because you're going to get up there talking about you one of his, but you looking like one of the devils. He can't, he can't do that. Maybe that's why the promotion didn't go through. Because your resume may look better than your character. Maybe, maybe it's time to go on a, a, a character journey. Because the Bible says that we're supposed to let our light shine before men. So we can't let offense get in the way of letting our light shine. I know they let you down. I know the last time that you put this type of effort in, you ended up hurt. But that doesn't take away from the words that God has spoken about you. That doesn't take away from the assignment that God has with your name on it. You still have to do the work despite how you feel. I said you still have to do the work despite how you feel. You still have a kingdom agenda that you're supposed to help move forward. And if you allow offense to come into your heart and turn your character into something else other than love, then your light no longer shines. People can no longer see Jesus when they see you. And people end up lost because of it. Do you know that God has people that need to be reached that only you can reach? And if you don't do your work internally, they don't get reached. They stay stuck. They stay lost. They stay dark because you are not shining. Your glow is non-existent because you have gone into self-preservation. You have decided no one will be able to hurt me again, and therefore, I'm just going to stick to myself. Matthew 5 and 16, Jesus tells us in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That's why you have to overcome how you feel because you want people not to praise you, but to praise your heavenly father. That's why you have to let your light shine because you want people to praise your heavenly father. That's why you have to serve on a team because you want people to give your heavenly father. That's why you have to give because you want people to give your heavenly father. That's why you got to come to the outreach because you, you want people to give glory to your heavenly father. If that's not a priority, you need to ask yourself why. Like when was the last time you allowed yourself to think about somebody seeing you in such a way that he was glorified? 
That requires a sacrificial type of heart posture. Because a lot of times we show up to church trying to figure out how I can become better suited in this life of mine. How I can feel better about my situation. How I can improve in my romantic relationship. How I can have better mental health. How I can be healed. How I can be set free. But it has nothing to do with God's glory. You want all this stuff just so you can feel better. Do you want God to get the glory out of your life? If not, you haven't been thinking that way, it's time to adjust. All of those things are great and should be pursued, but they should be pursued because you want your heavenly father to be glorified through your life. So how do we walk this out? Is this your king? Like which version do you find yourself in currently? If we look at the passages of scriptures at one point, the people of Israel said, hail to H-A-I-L. Sorry. Hail to the king. And on the other spectrum, they said, we have no king. It was the same people with two different perspectives. Where do you currently find yourself in your day-to-day living? Not just your Sunday morning posture, but your everyday posture. Are you cheering for the king's arrival? Or are you championing the king's demise with how you live? How do we get ourselves in the position to rightfully sit the king in his proper place? Step number one is you got to stop playing God. You aren't him. Take that pressure off your shoulders. Take that cape off your neck. You are not him. All the glory goes to God. You could have prayed They could have been healed. You could have counseled. They could have felt better. You could have gave them a scripture. That set them free. But you don't get the glory. Because you are not God. Stop playing God. Even if he's called you to the church, to be in some type of ministry, to help his people in some type of spiritual way, you still ain't God. You're still a vessel. You're still a clay pot that he has decided to use to pour into somebody's life. Number one, stop playing God. Number two, stand on the word. Stand on the word. The problem is a lot of us are standing on our own words or the words of humans instead of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So you have to stand on the word, not just to find truth, but to find out what's wrong in your life. If you stand on the word and find out what's true and find out what's wrong in your life, you're less likely to be somebody's savior because you can see what's still wrong in your life. And you become a humble servant instead of a prideful savior. You're still at work either way, but your heart's a little different when you stand on the word as you are doing the work. Number three, Serve out of love. Man, what happened to serving out of love? (laughs) Ephesians 6 and 7 says, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord 
rather than for people. See, when we think that we are working for people, we allow ourselves to become more easily hurt by the people that we said that we were working for, the people that we said we were pouring into, the people that we said we were called to. When they start peopling, we end up hurt because we forgot that we were doing this for God. So even when people act like people because they're people, it has less of an impact when you realize that I didn't do this for them. I did this for him. He seems to be pleased. Even though they left, even though they said this, even though they posted this, I didn't do this for them. I wished them well. Lord, what will you have for me to do next? Who will you have for me to serve next? Where would you like for me to go next? Because people are going to be people. So you can't do the work of the Lord for people. You have to do the work of the Lord for the Lord. You have to allow your heart to be in a position of devotion to the Lord not devotion to a calling. You have to have your heart in a position of devotion to the Lord, not devotion for a job, not devotion for a relationship. Devotion to the Lord allows you to put your focus on him. So that's where your energy comes from. That's where your strength comes from. That's where your hope comes from. Not on the response of another person. You want heaven to smile down. You want heaven to be pleased. You want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's why you do it. Even though they hurt you, even though that pastor said something, did something, let you down, didn't use you, didn't promote you, didn't ordain you, maybe abused you, they are a human that failed you. But you didn't do it for them. You're not gifted for them. You're not anointed for them. It's because of him that we do anything, that we have anything, that we're called to anything. Our devotion has to rely on him. Let's stand as we close. The question remains, is this your king? The one that rode in on that donkey, on his heart, knowing what he was about to face. Knowing every step along the way that he was going to get talked about, ridiculed, spit on, whipped beyond recognition, nailed to a cross crown of thorns placed on his head pierced in his side with a sword he decided to proceed anyway you know why he decided to proceed anyway because he was thinking about you yeah he saw you even when he had to go to the garden of Gethsemane and said Lord let this come pass from me he found strength when he thought about you. He got up. And he proceeded anyway because he was thinking about you. That's your king if you let him be your king. Remember next week is Easter. It's going down right at 1030. Again, I know y'all be getting uh, be hitting them snooze button a little extra times on Sunday mornings. Next Sunday is not a snooze day because it's going up right at 10.30. We going in, the worship team going in right from the beginning. We're going to celebrate a risen Savior next. I, I said, we're going to celebrate a risen Savior next Sunday. So make sure that you're here on time. Make sure you're here early. Go get all your partners in them, your cousins in them, 
them kids that you ain't been bringing to church, tell them next Sunday ain't optional. Use whatever type of guilt trip you can use. Get them in the building next Sunday. Let's pray our way out of here. Don't just, after we pray, don't just leave and get in your car. Say hi to somebody. These are your brothers and your sisters. Introduce yourself. Stick around, hang out, and get to know somebody. Lord, we thank you that you came and spoke a word over our lives. We receive everything that you said. We receive the parts that were easy and the parts that were tough because we trust you to have your way and that your way is way better than ours. As we go into this week, go before us, make a way out of no way, comfort our hearts and lead us and instruct us on the path that you have for us. We love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.